All right, welcome everybody. As you can see, I'm not Pastor Chris. Makes me think of uh, Princess Bride. I am not the Dread Private Roberts. <laughs> anyway, um, you want to throw that picture up of uh, Pastor Chris there, Stephen? Okay, well, Pastor Chris says hi. He's really enjoying London. Uh, the Lord's blessing his time there, filling in for Pastor Rob Dingman. And uh, he and his family were able to connect with the Roshanes, who are in the UK for a few weeks because of visa issues. They got a time, the amount of time they're in the, U- the EU, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, <laughs> so, but they're hanging out and they're enjoying some fellowship. So praise the Lord. And uh, Pastor Chris just wanted to say that, uh, you know, he misses you guys and. Uh, and he's coming back. He is. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. So you can take that thing down. All right. So while you guys are busting out your Bibles and turning to First Chronicles chapter 13 through 16, where we will be performing a flyover today, well, hopefully the Lord will be the pilot, right? I thought about wearing my stunt pilot shirt, and then I was like, you know what? If I'm the pilot, we are in trouble. So I left that at home. Um, But, you know, um, maybe I just, while you're turning there, I want to start with a little story. So I was at, uh, and I'll probably monologue and rabbit trail a little bit too. So uh, I was at my daughter's swim meet, her very first swim meet. I'm very proud of her. She swam really well. You know, she was nervous, you know, and uh, man, I I just thought, I just, you know, honey, man, I, I understand. I, I've been to swim meets. I've been to first swim meet. I was super nervous. And you, you really need to really need to do Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which says, be anxious for nothing, um, but in all things through prayer and supplication, make your requests known to the Lord. And the peace of God, um, I think, I'm, I, right, will, the, which, trans, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so... Yeah, anyway, but then now I find myself actually having to do the same thing. So, like, oh, no, I'm preaching today. Okay, let me just, uh, Lord, let me just pray for real quick. Lord, would you please just uh, um, quiet my nerves and uh, be present here? And would you please bless your people? Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, but also at this swim meet, I ran into a lady, and this is actually my little, my hook here. I ran into a lady, and she's like, um, we're super excited about what's going on in the river. And she's like, oh, dear, did you hear about the cruise ship that couldn't make it under the Megler Bridge? And I'm like, no, I had no idea. She's like, oh, yeah, they sailed right up, and uh, they had to turn around because uh, they were too tall for the bridge. They had to go up to B.C. and get this. You want to show the cruise ship picture? So here it is. It's the Carnival Panorama. And then we'll go to the next slide. So you see that thing right there? That's, uh, they call it a whale tail fin funnel. I don't know, anyways. But that thing was too tall to get under the Megler. So according to her, they had to sail up to BC and show the next thing. Um, Yeah, to get that under that, they had to turn around, sail back up to Vancouver, BC, and get that thing taken off so they could make it under the bridge. And that's what she told me. Um, I looked it up because I'm like, wow. You know, I used to be in the Coast Guard back, uh, you know, two lifetimes ago. Um, anyway, this, this, this one of my youth group kids asked me if I'd gotten my senior citizen discount last week. And I was like, what the heck? <laughs> I didn't yell at her, though. <laughs> she was just too cute. I was like, oh, bless your heart. Anyways, but, um, oh, yeah, the, the cruise ship. So, um, 
Right. I used to be in the Coast Guard, and one of my last assignments, I was an operations officer, so a lot of it was voyage planning. And one thing on the checklist, if you're going to go into a port, is you make sure if you pass under any bridges, you figure out how tall the bridge is, and there's a book you can look up all the heights and figure out how tall your masthead height is, and you have that worked out. So if the captain asks you, how, what's the clearance on this bridge? And you better have that answer like stat. Otherwise, guess what? You're fired! <laughs> you know? And so I was thinking, dude, somebody got fired. <laughs> somebody got fired. So anyways, I had to look it up, and uh, it was true. The Carnival Panorama did pass under the Megler. They did have their whale tail removed. It mentions nothing about having to make two trips. Uh, having to go, like, stop and go back and get that removed. So I don't know. Maybe that was just her impression. But anyway, let's get in. That, that's kind of my um, that's kind of my hook here. And in today's text, we're going to see an example where David, King David, and Israel um, they they make a critical error, neglecting something super important that, if you will, waylays their voyage of faith. Right? It causes them some problems. And so um, be paying attention to that as we go through this text here. Let me just pray, and we'll, we'll start reading the Word of God. So we're going to pick it up in uh, 1 Chronicles uh, 13, if you're there. So, Lord, just uh, bless your Word to the ears and hearts and minds of your people. Amen. Okay, so here we, we're reading from 1 Chronicles 13. I'm going to read from the ESV, so you have a different version. It'll sound a little bit different. It says, David consulted with the commanders of the thousands and hundreds with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad our brothers who remain in all the lands of Israel as well to the priests and Levites in the cities that have pasture lands that they may be gathered to us. Then let us bring again the ark of our God to us for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. And all the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of the people. So let's, let's provide some context here. David's the king. Um, if you hadn't picked up on that or you don't know your Bible, David's the king of Israel. He's the king of the united Israel. So Israel had been, had been um, uh, actually ruled under Saul. And then after Saul died, one of his sons took over temporarily. And David kind of took over another part of the country. And there was this civil war. And so that's all over. And now David is king of united Israel in Jerusalem. It, it, this is uh, actually he's finally king because God had, God had promised him he was going to be king and sent a prophet to anoint him with oil some 20 years earlier. So I, I, I want to just say that, um, I, I bring that up specifically just to say that, you know, God's promises sometimes take time. And maybe you feel like God's promised you something in your life um, and it hasn't happened yet. Be patient. The Lord's word will come to pass. Yep, the Lord's word will come to pass. So David's king finally, and he's leading this country that had been at war. And, um, and I, I, so I think part of his motivation, at least somewhat of his motivation, is how can we come together? How can we proceed together, right? Amos 3.3 3 says, how can two proceed together unless they be agreed? And and what do, we, what do we have in common after fighting a war against each other? And after all, there's 12 tribes in Israel, they didn't always get along. But what do they have in common? They have the Lord. And David, he's a godly man, actually called the man after God's own heart in, uh, by uh, the writer, by Luke in Acts 13, 23. And so he's like, hey, 
we need to bring the Lord into the, the center of the nation. We need, we need to make this a focus. And let's, let's bring the ark in, the ark of the covenant, um, because we didn't seek it in the days of Saul. And some of you guys know exactly what the ark is. Other of you are like, well, what is, what is the ark of the covenant? Why is, why is it such a big deal that they didn't seek it? So in short, the ark of the covenant is described in Exodus 25, 10 through 22, and it was a rectangular wooden box. Um, it was covered in gold. It had a special pure gold lid with a crown around it, and it had two angelic beings, cherubim, you know, bowing and, and sticking their wings out like this in, in reverence. So that's what it was, uh, but why, why was it important that they had neglected it? Why was that, why was that a big deal? Um, the ark was the centerpiece of God's revealed and prescribed system of worship for his people, the Jews. It was central uh, because it was needed to, for Israel to enjoy this special relationship with the holy God. And what I mean by that is it was needed for the remission of sins of the nation. Once a year in Yom Kippur, the Jews still celebrate this, although they don't have an ark and they don't have a temple, um, uh, basically, the high priest would go into the place where the ark was, the Holy of Holies, with the blood of a bull, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat and to atone for the sins of the nation so that, the, that anything the nation was, was doing wrong, that God would see that act of faith and see the blood of the animal that died instead of them and said, okay, we're good, we're good now. You've, you've demonstrated that you know that you need atonement, you need uh, some, something has to die for your sins so that we can have relationship. And so that was important for the nation. So having neglected that w would mean that there, there was some kind of a, a relational rift between Israel and God. Also, it says in Exodus 22, sorry, 25, 22, the last verse it says, and this is the Lord speaking of the uh, Ark of the Covenant. He says, there I will meet with you and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. And so the ark was key to relational oneness, atonement, and it was key to re relationship and revelation. So having neglected that, it was a big deal. And David was like, yo, we got to fix this. Priority numero uno, king of united Israel, we're fixing this problem. So, let's see what happens. Um, continuing in 1 Chronicles 13, 5 through 8. So, David assembled all Israel from the Nile of Egypt to Labo Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. And David and all Israel went up to Bala, that is to Kiriath-Jerim, that belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord who sits enthroned above the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and from the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ohio, or Ayo, I don't know how to say that. It sounds Japanese. Ayo. Anyway, we're driving the cart. And David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, with song and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. So, it's looking pretty good so far, right? They've got unity. They've got community, right? They've got everybody, everybody involved. Everybody's stoked about this idea of bringing the ark back in. They've got the ark on a new cart. I don't know. This, you ever, 
I, for whatever reason, as I was studying, I was thinking of, you know, homecoming and then how you get, like, all the new cars from Lums and you get the homecoming princess or whatever prince that are, and they drive them out on the field. I was just thinking, man, so they went down to Lums, they got a new cart. Anyway. Uh, anyway, so they get the new cart and they've got zeal. They got excitement. They get this outpouring of worship for, for bringing God into the center of the nation. So, so far, so good. So far, so good. So let's see what happens next. All right. Uh, continuing, First Chronicles, verse 9. And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah, remember that was one of the dudes in the cart, um, put out his hand to take hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down, because he had put out his hand to the ark, and he died before God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez-Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day. And he said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? So all of a sudden, things go horribly wrong. Terrible disaster. Oh, you know what's funny? I don't have my cell phone on me right now. That can't be it. Hey, I was just saying, I'm a child of the 90s, but maybe take this opportunity to silence your cell phones and pagers. <laughs> All right. All right, there we go. So, anyways, things go horribly wrong. Um, Uzzah, this dude, he's on the, ark, on the cart, on the new cart from Lums with the, with the Ark of the Covenant. Um, the, the oxen stumble, and he's like, oh, I don't want the Ark to fall. So he puts out his hand just to steady it, and the Lord kills him. Boom. And David, the, uh, the leader, the king, and this was his vision to bring the ark back into Jerusalem, all of a sudden, I, seems to be pretty emotionally confused, right? He's angry. He's, then he's afraid. And the whole effort to bring God in the center of the nation comes to this screeching halt. They don't know what to do. And so my first point, if you're taking notes, my first point here um, is this, neglect of the word of God and our relationship sets us up for disaster. And I'll, I'll unpack this a little bit. So even with all the good stuff they had, and they had good stuff, they had a right desire to bring God in the center of the nation. They had zeal for the Lord. They had a desire to worship him. They had unity around the Lord, right? The whole community was there. So there was a lot of good. But just like that cruise ship story, right? The, at least what the version the lady told me, they get up to the mouth of the Columbia with the cruise ship. The pilot comes on board, which is usually what happens. The guy, he climbs up a ladder, and you hand him a sheet that has all the specs of your ship. You know, what's your draft, your, your tonnage, you know, how fast can it maneuver at various speeds. They've got a, um, a masthead height diagram. And the pilot, you know, the, the bar pilots and the river pilots, they know the river from end to end. And so they know automatically, one glance at that sheet, they know if something's out of order. And uh, like I said, I don't know if the ship actually had to leave, but can you imagine the disaster? You're the captain or you're the guy that planned the voyage on the bridge, and the pilot comes on board, looks at his sheet, and he's like, yeah, we're going to have to turn. You can't, you can't cross the bar. Well, we, we, have a, we have a slip time in Portland. You know, they've got, we've got all the guys waiting to, to put our ship in dry. Nope. Can't go. Why not? Uh, your masthead height is not going to clear the Megler. Ooh. Ooh. And I, I could just imagine my captain's face. You would not want to be the ops boss. 
<laughs> anyway, but there's this, this is similar thing, right? They're trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant of a holy God into the center of the nation, and they've neglected something of critical, critical importance. And that is the word of the written word. See, in, in, in the Bible, God had a specific prescription, a command that he'd given them of how this ark should be transported, this holy object, how it should be handled, who it should be handled by. And so I'll read to you um, from Numbers 4, verse 15. It says, And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, as the camp sits out, sets out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come and carry these, but they must not touch the holy things lest they die. Ooh, I bet Uzzah was, uh, I bet Uzzah would have liked to have read that before he got on the ox cart. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Kohath are to carry. So God had a prescription. Look, these, these Levite dudes, the sons of Kohath, when, when you have to move camp, you have to move the ark, and you have to move all the holy objects, they're going to carry everything. And in the description um, in Exodus 25, it says the ark had four gold rings where you'd slide these poles through and they would, they would hoist the ark up under their shoulders, and that's how they would move it. And it would have to be these guys that would do it. And so even in spite of all the zeal and good desire and, 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 and you know, unity, they neglected God's word, and it ended in disaster, just like maybe that, that ship, um, if, you know, if, in fact, the pilot had just let it go. And so, so too, believers, if, if we neglect to take responsibility to pay attention to God's written word in our own voyage of faith, we're going to suffer as well. Um, Jesus makes this very plain here. I'm going to read to you from Luke 6, 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words does and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So why does Jesus say that? Because he wants to uh, make you feel bad if, you've, if you haven't prioritized the word of God in your life? Answer, no. He wants you to be like the person that builds their house on that firm foundation that weathers those storms of life, that avoids those disasters that come when we neglect that. And so that's what that, that parable is about. And so one of the things I, I love about this church, one of the reasons that I'm, I'm still here after, let's see, 2006-ish, 2000, so what is that, 14, 17 years? One of the reasons I'm still here 17 years later is because the Word of God is so central. And there's so many opportunities uh, the Word of God comes in on Sunday. We've got a men's Bible study, a women's Bible study. We've got home churches. The Word of God is central. So I'm very thankful for that. I'm very thankful for that. Um, but all I'd say is Christians, as individuals, we also bear a responsibility for making the Word of God central in our own walks of faith. We've got we've to open up that Bible. Or, you know, I've had a, I had a guy sending me once, you know, I'm just not a good reader. And I just can't read very fast. And I just don't feel like, you know, I process it well. And then, I, well, what about an audio Bible? Like, let's, let's take responsibility for knowing the Word. Let's take responsibility for taking in the Word. 
so we can, we can avoid disaster, right? Yeah. Amen. So, second point, and we'll go a bit deeper here. It's not only knowing the word, like having it memorized verbatim, but I think it's, it's having a correct uh, understanding of, of what does it mean. That's, that's critical. Rightly dividing, right. So, the, uh, the people of Israel might have said, hold on there, if they were here. They're like, hold on a sec, hold on. Okay, so guess what? Moving the Ark of the Covenant on a cart is in the Bible, pastor. And I'd say, yep, it is. They're like, yeah, so it happened in uh, 1 Samuel 4 verses, uh, sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 4 through 6, the Philistines captured the Ark and then it goes to Philistine territory and, um, and then there's all these plagues that break out because the Philistines aren't, aren't giving God his proper reference. And then they're like, we just gotta get rid of this thing, right? Instead of humbling themselves. <laughs> <laughs> what a missed opportunity. Anyways, they're like, let's get rid of this thing. So they put it on a cart. They hitch it up to a mama cow who's just had a new baby calf. And, and they're like, yeah, so if this cart trucks off towards Israel and the mama calf ignores her baby cow, then we'll know, you know, that it's, this is the Lord. And that's exactly what happens. So they could say, yeah, here we go. There's an example of the Ark of the Covenant being transported on a cart and it worked out. Okay, okay. But you gotta you got to take into account the full counsel of the Word of God, right? And I just read from Numbers uh, 4.15. It says, hey, here's the prescription from the Lord of how to handle this holy object. So you can know something's in the Bible but come to false conclusions if you don't rightly divide it, as, as Brother Chris pointed out. Another quick um, example, after Solomon, David's son, uh, dies, the kingdom, kingdom of God, or sorry, the kingdom of Israel splits up again. There's a southern kingdom led by uh, Rehoboam, uh, Solomon's son, and a northern kingdom, this guy Jeroboam, son of Nabat, takes over. And uh, God's like, hey, I'm going to give you 10 of the tribes because um, basically uh, Rehoboam wasn't, wasn't following. It was Solomon and Rehoboam were really, really following the Lord wholeheartedly. Solomon actually got off into idolatry the last part of his life. And so anyway, um, Jeroboam's worried about people returning to, uh, to Jerusalem, getting sucked back into the the worship and, and, and losing power. So he's like, let's make some golden calves and we'll set up a parallel system of worship here in northern Israel, you know? And he could have said, look, it's in the Bible. Exodus chapter 32, Aaron, the high, first high priest, made some golden calves, you know? It's in the Bible. It's biblical. Right. But it led to destruction and death. So it is in the Bible. So my point in saying these things is just... Um, Reading the Bible, we need to not only know what's in there, but understand it and rightly divide it. And so that's just as critical as knowing it. That's, so that's my second point. But, but all that said, I might be the only person in here that's been, no, I'm not. Hey, show of hands, who's ever read something in the Bible and been confused? Been like, yeah, I don't understand what this means, <laughs> right? That's good. It, it really is good. You know why it's good? because you just made me feel better about myself. <laughs> no, that's not actually not why it's good. It's good because uh, you're being humble, right? And God says he'll give grace to the humble. So I wanted to skip over into uh, just some practical hints, and this won't be exhaustive, but like, let's say you're like, okay, I, I'm on board. I know I need to know the word. And I know I need to understand the word, rightly divide it. So, but what if I get to this, I get to a place where I read it, and I'm like, 
stumped. I don't know. Makes no sense. Scratch my head. How do I apply this? Okay, here we go. Now, suggestion number one, pray, right? Um, it says somewhere in the Bible that the, understanding the word is spiritually discerned. I think it's Corinthians somewhere, sorry. Uh, that's, it also, anyway, so, but it is spiritually discerned. So it's the work of the Holy Spirit to, to give us understanding of what the written word would say to us, what the interpretation is. And so that's, that's important. It's important to ask God for, for revelation. And then sometimes you have to wait. But I've noticed that God's been so faithful so faithful to answer those questions as we press in. You know, I can't, I, could, I can't even count the number of times I've been like, Lord, I just don't get this. And I'm driving somewhere and I got a teaching on and the pastor, you know, John Corson or, you know, Chuck Smith or Brett Metter or whoever, whoever you listen to, um, they're like, oh, let's talk about this. And I'm like, ha, praise the Lord. It's the answer I wanted, you know. And then um, here's another thing you can do. You ask other believers that you trust. Well, what if they don't know? Well, Hopefully they'll say, I don't know, and hopefully you'll spur them on to dig into the word and, 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 this, and build that for their foundation in their own lives, you know? Um, we also have a question and answer night we do once a month where you can, you know, fire your questions in and our pastoral team looks at them and, and we do our best to answer them from the Bible. So there's another outlet. And then a third suggestion, uh, get a really solid commentary and dig in. You know, I've, I've had brothers say, oh, I don't read commentaries, I only read the Bible. And that's great, but when you get into a place where you get stuck, you know, it, it's nice to have uh, another, another thing to reference. Like, what, what's this even about? How, how, do I, how do I process this thing? My, my buddy, um, Jeff Stewart, he calls them his dear old friends. He's like, I just think of it like, like if I was talking to somebody super old and wise, like Greg Morrill, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, I have a conversation and Greg knows some stuff um, that I don't probably know. And even if I don't 100% agree with all of it, but he's given me a, a, lot of, a lot of wisdom after spending how many years with the Lord? 100, Greg? Just kidding. I'm uh, pulling Greg's leg. Uh, anyways, but sorry, Greg. Uh, I, had to, I had to make myself feel better after the senior citizen comment by one of my youth group kids. So all that to say is... Um, Right, the suggestions for, for digging in. Dig into a commentary. And if you, you're not sure which one to, to read, there's, there's uh, brothers here like Greg that could point you in the right direction. Okay, so point number one was if we neglect the Word of God, we were courting disaster. Point number two is, hey, it's not only knowing the Word of God, but knowing how to rightly divide it. And so there's some quick suggestions on how to, to do that. Um, the overall goal what? The overall goal is what? Is to have our, our mind transformed so that we think like the Lord. So we think we're bringing our thoughts um, in, into agreement with God's Word. And so I'll leave you with this scripture before we move on. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I just say that that, uh, that comes through the Word of God. So many times it comes through the Word of God. Sort of moving on. We're still in this section. Let me just remind you what, what David's response was when the guy died, right? It says that in verse um, 11, and David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perizuza to this day. And then David was afraid of God. And he said, 
how can I bring the ark of God home to me? So David's in this place of emotional confusion, angry than afraid. And uh, I think it's worth saying, it's worth saying that emotions don't equal truth. Not necessarily anyway. And a lot of times I think, and I, I, think, I feel like this has to be said, in our, especially in our culture where how we feel is given so much weight that it ought not to have, how we feel can oftentimes obscure the truth, right? It's like the fog of war, like, you know, fog that comes over a story. I can't even see the road. I was the center line, right? Uh, how we feel can be a huge impediment to, to discerning truth. And, you know, as, even as much as I can really put myself in David's shoes, right? Um, has God ever maybe not done what you expected him to do? Right? And you've been like, what the heck, God? You know, didn't I try to do this for you? Didn't I try to step out and do something cool for you? Didn't you see my heart? You know, David could, don't you see what I'm trying to do for the nation, Lord, for you, you know? And David's, then he's afraid of the raw power of a holy God um, when it's on display to really just to discipline the nation. You know, his, his backside's throbbing from the spanking that he just received. And, uh, you know, I, I remember as a kid being like, I, I really don't think my dad likes me. <laughs> my dad doesn't like me at all. I just got spanked. He, he must hate my guts. You know, that could be a feeling. Maybe I'm just going to stay away from him for a while, right? But it's actually not what the Lord wants. The, the discipline is, is designed to bring clarity, right? So what brings clarity? For David... Um, time, some time, persistence in seeking the Lord, and the Word of God. A lot of times that's what it takes for us to, for us to have clarity, like, why didn't this go the way I thought, or why, what are you doing, Lord? How are you, why, how is this helping me, you know? How, how are you sanctifying me through this experience? What are you teaching me through this hardship? You know, we have to, we have to continue with the Lord to, to see those lessons. So continuing on the word, um, so the third thing was emotions don't equal truth. Continuing verse 13, so David did not take the ark home to the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the household of Obed-Edom in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that he had. So they parked the ark. That's what they did. They parked the ark. Oh, I don't know what to do with this thing. Obviously, this is not going down correct. We're going to park the ark for a little bit. And uh, so that brings us to uh, 1 Chronicles 14. So we're going we're gonna to just hopscotch over 1 Chronicles 14. This is a flyover. So the hopscotch is this. Um, the Lord establishes David's throne. The Lord builds his family. And the Lord gives him some, some sweet victory over the Philistines as he seeks out God's will. Philistines come in to do a raid, and David's like, should I go up? David, the man of war who's, who's fought many battles, is like, should I go up against these guys? And God's like, yeah, I'll give them into your hand. And he rolls up, cleans their clocks, and then um, the Philistines didn't learn their lessons, so they come back again. And David's like, should I go up against these guys? And I would have been like, I just smoked these guys. Let's go get them. But David's like, I'm, I'm going to stay in touch with you on this, Lord. Uh, what do you want me to do? And God says, hey, I'd go around behind him, come through these trees. When you hear marching on the tops of the trees, then attack because the Lord's gone out before you. 
super cool. Um, the sensitivity to the Lord, like that, that's one thing I can see in this chapter that God has sort of um, reminded David of, like, hey, you need to be in touch with the Holy God. Like, you know, I've got specific plans. And, and uh, so you could see David kind of keying into the, the Lord's specific revelation for him, which is cool. So moving on to chapter 15. Um, in chapter 15, we've got um, David making a course correction. And I think it's a great um, encouragement to believers here um, as we look at this. Uh, we talked about how, you know, neglecting the Word of God will bring disaster. And maybe some of you guys right now are in a place where you're like, man, yeah, I've neglected the Word of God in my life. And I'm, I'm feeling the consequences of that sin or, 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 the, or I'm feeling that stinging backside of the Lord's spanking. And I'm pretty discouraged. And, uh, you know, maybe God's through with me. Maybe you're fighting through all the emotions that come with that uh, correction of those consequences, and you're just not sure, you know? Man, David provides us with a great example of how to get back on track, how to get back on track after all that. And I, I would just want to assure you that God's not done with you. Like I said in, the, in that whole parable or the story of that wise builder, he doesn't say that to be like, I stick in your eye, you, yeah, you... You didn't, you neglected my word, and so therefore you're gonna, your whole house, you're gonna collapse. Ah, serves you right. No, it's, it's God, God saying, hey, how about, you know, how about you listen to the word of God and do it? And so this is actually what David does. It's a great example here in chapter 15. First thing David does is he makes a, uh, a public confession. He calls together all the Levites and the priests. And then, so this is uh, chapter 15. And he's skipping down to verse 12, and he, and he says to them, you are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I prepared for it. And he says this, because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. And so God's got this, David's basically publicly saying, yep, we messed up. Um, it takes a lot of humility for a king to say, yeah, we, we messed up. We didn't, we didn't obey God's word. And he does that publicly before these guys who were supposed to do it. So you have, you have a public confession, and I think that's really good. That's a really great way to get back on track is to, um, to find a, a brother or a sister that you trust. And First uh, John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then it says in um, James 5.6, therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And so that's, that's a great way to get back on track, to show that humility, to make that confession. And, uh, and I, I, that goes a long way with the Lord. It says in, in James, I think it's 4.6, he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud, Right? So the next thing is repentance. So David actually goes through with it, and he, they honor God's word, right? The ark is brought back in on the poles with the Levites, just the way God said, right? So that's, that's repentance. He's turning away from the way he thought he should do it or the way he wanted to do it, um, and he's doing it the way that God said he should do it. So important, honoring God's word. 
And then, you know, persistence. He didn't give up. He didn't throw in the towel, be like, oh, I'm done with God, whatever. He could just live at Obed-Edom's house, you know. Um, he, he's not giving up on that desire to bring God into the, the center of the nation, especially when he can see the blessing upon Obed-Edom, having, having the presence of God and the ark on his property. If you read uh, uh, first, mm, Second Samuel, um, they, they run up to David and they're like, look, Look at Obed-Edom's house. God's blessed everything he has because the ark's there. And, and David's, Whoa, what are we doing? We got to figure this thing out. And uh, so I just think that's cool, the, the persistent desire to be near the Lord. Don't lose that. Don't give up on that. Okay, so we're moving on. So in chapter 15, we see and the, the, the fourth point and hopefully an encouraging point for, for everybody would be there's still hope for you to enjoy the the richness of relationship with the Lord, if you've intimacy and blessings God has for you, if you've if you neglected his word and you've felt some consequences, you can, you can confess, you can repent, and, and you can find, find restoration. And that's actually, as we go through the rest of uh, chapter 15 and chapter 16, how am I doing on time? Am I doing okay? Okay, great. As we go through, we see, some, we, we see it done the right way. And uh, I'm just going to read a couple of verses as I skip through um, these two chapters, and then we'll, we'll finish up. So the fifth point, it's really just more of observe. Check out what happens when you bring that zeal and that unity and that desire for worship and a reverence for God's word. You bring it all, all in. First Chronicles 15, 15, it says, the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. So, reverencing the word of the Lord. Next, First uh, Chronicles 15, 16, David also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who should play loudly on musical instruments, harps, lyres, and cymbals to raise the sounds of joy. And so they do that. They got the worship team and it's, it's loudly. They're cranking it up. So all the zeal, all the, the, the right feelings of an expression of just fullness of love for God is there. I think that's cool too. Um, down, if you skip down to 1 Chronicles 15, uh, verse 26. And because God helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. If you read... Um, Second uh, Samuel, I think it's six. Anyway, the parallel count, um, it, it says they sacrificed the bull every seven steps. And um, my, my uh, I guess my understanding of, of why they did that, because this isn't something they specifically had to do, but there's a heightened awareness of we're sinners and we need the, we need the blood of the sacrifice to cover up any, any, anything that we're doing wrong here. We're, we're acutely aware of our sinfulness and your holiness, right? So I think that's good. There's a, there's a heightened sensitivity of God's holiness. Um, chapter 16, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 1, it says, And they brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it, and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. So you've got just the success. The ark comes into the center of the nation, the nation's capital, just like um, David wanted, just like I think the Lord wanted. And, and, it, and it happens. And they've got offerings of dedication. Um, that's a burnt offering. Basically, God will give them this whole thing to you. 
We don't want anything. We just want to, it's an it's a outward demonstration of their own dedication to the Lord, right? And also peace offerings. And, you know, we know that we have right relationship because you've, you've allowed us to get to this point where we can offer these things. Um, and it says he blesses the people in the name of the Lord. So there's, there's blessing, which is so cool. And, and what? Um, verse 3, and distributed to all Israel, both men and women, to each a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. And so you've got this good fruit, these blessings, shared by all. Shared by all. And that's, uh, I think, one of the reasons why the Lord says, hey, don't neglect the fellowship of the believers, because we all have something to share with one another as we, as we rightly revere God's word, as we rightly revere the risen Christ, we're able to encourage one another. We're able to encourage each other to be fruitful, right? And so that's, that's a, a blessing, and, and a, that's a, a result of doing this thing the right way. And if you go through um, the rest of chapter 16, you've got David's song of thanks. Um, you've got a worship before the ark, so you've got ongoing thankfulness, ongoing worship, and the last... Um, and the worship team could probably come back up here, um, start to come up anyway. And then in verse 43, this, so this is Chronicles 16, verse 43, it says, Then all the people departed each to his house, and David went home to bless his household. So you have the blessings of this right worship, this biblical worship of God spilling over into everyone's home. And isn't that what we want, guys? Isn't that what we want? We want our homes to be full of joy and peace, and we want the worship team on stage, too, so we can... <laughs> okay, praise the Lord. <laughs> so this is the final application uh, part, and just to kind of give you a quick summary, um, right? We're, we're wanting to not neglect the Word of God in our lives. We're wanting to uh, understand and rightly apply the Word of God to our lives. Uh, we're wanting to see all the, the fruits and blessings of, of doing that right. And uh, so how do, we, how do we bring this home? You know, Lord, would you land this plane? The Ark of the, Ark of the Covenant symbolized Jesus Christ. The Ark of the Covenant um, was made of wood, which symbolized man, it was covered in gold, symbolizing God. The, the mercy seat had a crown, right, king of kings. And um, if you read Revelation, the angels are, are bowing in reverence before our, our Lord and Savior. It had four gold rings um, with which it was to be carried. And, and there's, uh, there's four gospels. Which, uh, which speak of the life and teachings of Jesus Christ um, in detail, anyway. Um, you've also uh, got the contents of the ark itself. Inside the ark, there was a jar of manna, which is the bread that comes down from heaven. And Jesus declared, um, I am um, the bread of life. It, it had a, um, Aaron's staff, which is a, um, um, it was a almond uh, branch, so it was just a stick, basically, and, uh, and it, that budded. And so we know from Daniel chapter 9 that Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. And um, read Isaiah 53, it said, God says he'll, 
both that his days will be prolonged, but also that he, that he tasted death. And so there's, there's that symbol of the resurrection. Um, and there's also the, the law of Moses, the ten, uh, sorry, the two uh, tablets with the Ten Commandments on them, right? And um, Jesus says that, um, don't think that I come to destroy the law and the prophets, but, I, but to fulfill them. And Jesus perfectly fulfilled, he perfectly fulfilled the law. So the Ark of the Covenant symbolizes Christ, and just as the, the people of Israel and David had this right desire to bring the Ark into the heart of their nation, we need to have that same passion, that same desire to bring Jesus Christ into the center of our lives. We need to bring Jesus Christ in, um, but we need to do it in a way that's fully submitted to him. We need to do it in a way that fully gives reverence to his word, right? Uh, we need to... We need to heed what he said there in, in Luke 6, where you know, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you to do, right? We need to be, we need to be ready to humble ourselves and to bring him in with, with a heart of submission to, to his word. And so as the worship team plays, man, as the worship team plays, I guess my heart would be for the saints to respond be for us to stand up and maybe you're thinking, man, you know, I know I'm not walking according to God's word in this area of my life. That the deacons would get up, the elders would get up, their wives would get up, people that, that, the, that the church leaders, the church, we trust them and they're trustworthy people that you can confess to, that you can get prayer from. Um, they're just like you. I heard one of the guys in the uh, deacon prayer say, Lord, I just feel so empty. I just feel like I don't have enough. And praise the Lord. That's the, perfect, that's the perfect guy to get prayer from, the guy that knows he needs Jesus just as much as you, you know? And uh, so w what I would like is for, um, for if you're feeling convicted by that at all, um, that you'd go up and find somebody that you trust. It doesn't have to be a deacon or an elder. It could be somebody sitting right next to you and say, please pray for me in this area of my life. Please, I, I, want to, I want Jesus to be the center of my life. I want the Lord to be glorified. I want to honor his word. And, and uh, you know, make that confession. Be humble. Ask for prayer for repentance. And you know what? If you're like, man, I'm, man, I'm reading the word, and I, I don't really feel like there's anything that I know. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Then just enjoy worship of our holy God. Just enjoy thankfulness to the one who died for our sins. That's what I have for you.